Hello, how's everyone doing this morning? By show of hands, how many Java developers do I have? Okay, everybody wave and say hi to Duke. <laughs> okay, so now, say hi to Duke, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the year was 1995, and I heard about this new language coming out called Java. At the time, I was doing C++, and so I researched Java. And when I learned about this language, I thought this language was going to take over the world. And so it was a skill set that I wanted to have. I left the company where I was working to go and learn Java, and I was right. To this day, Java is still one of the more popular programming languages, and I'm glad I made that transition early on in my career. Now, the way I felt about Java in 1995, it's the way I feel about machine learning today. My name is Keisha Williams, AKA Kesha Williams. <laughs> I'm sure in your head you were calling me Kesha. Don't feel bad, it's the story of my life. <laughs> um, I am a software engineer. I've been in software engineering for the last 24 years. I currently teach for a company called A Cloud Guru. I'm a technical instructor. And on the side, I'm an Alexa champion and an AWS machine learning hero. For most of my career, I've been a full stack web developer, mainly using Java on the front end and on the back end. In 2017, I wanted to learn more about machine learning. I just felt it was a technology that was literally going to change the world. And so I started playing around with some of the AWS services like SageMaker, DeepLens, Recognition, and DJL. Deep Java Library, and that's what we'll talk about today. And I do want to say I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a machine learning engineer. I'm just a software engineer that really believes machine learning can change the world, and I just want to be a part of that change. So today we'll talk about my journey from Java to machine learning. I'll tell you more about how I got started I'll talk to you about some of the challenges that I faced along the way, and those challenges will be sprinkled throughout the presentation. And then I'll talk about lessons learned, and then we'll have Q&A. So let's talk about how I actually got started, coming from a Java developer background. So with the AWS services, there are levels to adoption. So first, there's this level one adoption. And this is where you simply call out from an existing system to some of the AI services to make your system smarter. And so that's how I started. I played around with recognition, doing um, facial recognition, sentiment analysis, using the recognition service. And then I also played around with Poly and Lex, creating chatbots. So that is just the level one adoption. And in that level one, you're just using machine learning models created by other people. So that's how I started. And then I progressed to this level two adoption. This is where I was actually making my own machine learning models. 
And so way back in 2017, I started with a service called Amazon Machine Learning. So that service is not open to new customers today, but essentially it's been replaced with SageMaker. And so I progressed to SageMaker, creating my own models. And then there's this level three adoption. This is where you use toolkits and frameworks and interfaces writing your own learning algorithms in your own code. And this phase gives you complete control um, the other two phases, at some point, it abstracts away some of the technical details and what's really going on um, under the hood. But with the level three adoption, you have complete control. So the example that we're going to look at today is from the level three layer that I just told you about. And it is a footwear classification model. And it classifies footwear into one of four categories, boots, shoes, sandals and slippers. In this example today, I'm using DJL, which is the deep Java library. And it uses Java, of course, and MXNet. So when we think about this footwear classification model, how did I go about solving and tackling that problem? Let's first look at it from a traditional software development. This is something that most Java developers are used to. So from a footwear classification system, initially you'll have a user interacting with the data. So you're going to build a system that will allow the user to classify footwear. And so you'll have a user using the system and you'd probably deliver that system using the Agile framework. Um, delivering chunks of functionality over time, the users will probably have a snazzy GUI where they can drag and drop to classify the data. And behind the scenes, you're probably calling an API. When we think about this footwear classification problem from a machine learning perspective, this is very inefficient because a human is involved. And when you transition this to machine learning, the way that we build the system is totally different. So now let's talk about what I call machine learning model development. I don't know if that's the official term, but that's what I call it. And it's really different from traditional software development. So the first step, you have data. You have lots of data. And you really don't tell the machine what to do by explicitly programming it. You just give it this data, and typically you'll give it labeled data. So that's what I did with this footwear classification model. I told the machine, here, this is what a pair of boots looks like, here are sandals, here are slippers, and here's what we call shoes. And so that's the labeled data. And then within that process, when you feed that labeled data to the machine, it goes through this iterative training process. And you feed the data to what's called a learning algorithm. And so that learning algorithm finds trends and patterns in that data. And throughout that process, it's trying to optimize the process to deliver a well-performing model as quickly as possible. And so at the end of this training process, we have what's called this model. And I know I've been using that term a lot. 
So when we think about the footwear classification model, we'll have an image of a pair of shoes, we'll feed that to the model, and then the model can identify what it is. So in this case, a pair of slippers. So what is this model? I keep talking about the model. A model is nothing more than a mathematical representation of trends and patterns found in data. And the neat thing about this model is that it can be consulted. So it's like this all-knowing oracle. So you ask it a question like, what kind of shoe is this? And it gives you an answer based on what it's learned by studying your data. And that's really all the model is. Now, when I was learning about machine learning, I had questions like, well, what type of answer can I get back from a machine? And so with supervised learning, that's where we give it the label data to learn from, you can get a yes-no answer. So that's called binary classification. So I can give it a picture of a shoe and say, is this a shoe, yes or no? I can give it a picture of a banana and say, is this a shoe, yes or no? You can also classify an item in a particular category. And that's the example that we're going to talk about today. And that is called multi-class classification. And then lastly, you can get a number back. That's called regression. So for example, answering a question like, what will the temperature be in Las Vegas tomorrow? Hopefully it'll be warm and no snow. So my first step in my journey here was to really understand the process to produce this model, because the model is really the most important part. Who's seen this machine learning life cycle? So just like we have a software development life cycle, there's this machine learning life cycle. And it's a bit different. So it starts with the dark blue getting the data. So once you get your data, there's the step of preparing the data. So you go through this cleaning process, this transformation process. You really try to get the data ready. And that's really the most important part, because if you feed in bad data, then your model is going to learn incorrectly and give you the wrong answer on the back end. And you definitely don't want that. And then in the pink sections at the bottom, there's the training process. And that's that iterative process that I told you about before where the learning algorithm tries to find trends and patterns in your data. And then also a part of training, there's this evaluation process. So once a model is produced, some of the labeled data is saved for evaluation. And so it allows the model to test itself to see how good or bad it is at predicting. And so that's the evaluation process. And then the last light blue process, that is really productionizing the model, deploying it putting it somewhere where another system can actually consume it. And with this, data is the first step. So let's talk about the data. Data is the foundation of machine learning. And I've developed several models. And what I've learned, domain knowledge is very important. So let's take the footwear classification example. Let's say I was the developer and I really didn't understand what a pair of shoes looked like. So what happens when, by mistake, there's a banana, a picture of a banana, <laughs> that the machine learns now that bananas look like shoes and shoes look like bananas? So it's very important whenever you're working with any data set to really understand it. And then 
you'll go through this cleaning and formatting and preparing the data. And that just understanding and having that domain knowledge helps you be more effective at the cleaning and transformation. And then lastly, this last bullet point, checking for bias. I think this is something that a lot of people don't consider when they're working with machine learning. Um, nowadays, bias is a big topic because machine learning has really become more pervasive and it's impacting a lot of areas of our lives. And so as a developer, when you're working with machine learning and you're in charge of the data, it's just very important to make sure that it's bias-free. So now let's talk more about the footwear classification model and how I went through that machine learning life cycle to produce it. So for this, I used Deep Java Library, DJL. Has anybody heard of that? It's really cool. And it came out not too long ago, actually. And it's a deep learning toolkit for Java developers. And it allows you to create machine learning models natively in Java without having to learn Python. I'm gonna say that again, natively in Java <laughs> without having to learn Python. So that makes it super exciting. So with DJL, let's talk about the data piece. And so within DJL, there are data sets. It comes out of the box with a lot of the more popular data sets, so you can jumpstart your learning if you just want to play around. But then also, there are custom data sets that you can create. And those data sets, if you just point it to a URL, it will actually download the data for you, extract the data, and automatically separate it into the training and validation. So it's super cool. And then also, the way I used it, it can retrieve data from your local machine, so from a local folder. And then for the training piece of it, DJL is engine agnostic. And so for my example, I used MXNet. And they, tr they are engine agnostic. So essentially what that means, you can write your code once, and it will run on any engine. And so that's super cool because it stays true to what Java is all about, writing once and running anywhere. And in technical terms, it uses JNA, and so it calls, calls the MXNet operations under the scenes. And it allows you to train locally on your machine, and that's what I did, or you can use a GPU, and it's very memory efficient and you're able to easily set hyperparameters, and that's nothing more than configurating, um, configuration for a training job. And then it evaluates the model, and then it produces the model artifact. With DJL, you can load your uh, mo model locally, or you can pull it from a model zoo, and I'll show you how to do that. And then, for making a prediction, that term is called inference. And with DJL, you can do a single inference or a batch inference. And my example is just a single, and I'll show you that. And then it comes with translators out of the box. So translators will do like pre and post processing on your data. So for the footwear classification, remember I told you 
data is the most important. So finding data from a reputable source is key. So my images I pulled from a Zappos collection um, from the University of Texas, and it had about 50,000 images. And they went through the process of separating all of the images by one of four class labels, what we see on the screen. And so the question that goes in is an image. It goes to the model. And on that previous slide, remember I had the, the word slippers. But what really comes out in the prediction is a probability score per class label. And remember, we had the four class labels. And class label three, with a probability of 98%, that represents slippers. OK, now let's crack open the code. By show of hands, how many IntelliJ fans do I have? What about Eclipse? Yeah, IntelliJ wins. OK. So remember I told you, in this example, we're going to pull the data from my local computer. And so notice here I have two folders. I have a train folder and a validate folder. So again, the training. This is the data that the learning algorithm is going to study and try to find patterns in. And then for the validate data, during the training process, it's going to use this separate set of data to really test itself. And so it's very important to have your data split out. Typically, you'll take 80% of it for training and 20% of it for evaluation, because you don't want to test the model on the same data that it learned on. That's like cheating. So we don't want to cheat. So here in the train folder, notice I have four folders, boots, sandals, shoes, and slippers. And so I'll just show you some of the images for boots. So that's what the machine is going to learn from. And then under sandals, some of the images, shoes, some kids shoes in there and slippers and then the validate folder looks exactly the same way okay so the first step is training so this is where the machine tries to learn all about shoes and one thing that I do want to note remember on that slide I had that circle so think of training as an iterative process, and it's going to produce multiple models that get evaluated based on what the machine learns. So when it learns something and it tests itself, it will adjust the model. And so at the end of the process, we should have a well-performing model. So each iteration is called an epoch, or my UK friends, an epoch. <laughs> so let's look at this training class. So notice here, this training class extends abstract training. So abstract training basically holds a lot of the configuration parameters for that training job. That's called hyperparameters. And it also includes um, the epics and metrics. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that. 
So the first step is to tell the machine the number of classification labels. So whenever we, on the back end, create a prediction, how many probability scores do we want back? So in this case, four, boots, sandals, and shoes. So I'm giving it the number of output here on line 39 as four. And then here on lines 42 and 43, I'm just setting the height and width of the image. And that's just making sure conformity that what the machine learns from, all of the images are the same size. Here on line 46, I'm setting the batch size. So typically in the training process, it will look at batches. And this is just telling it how many images to sample or try to learn from before you adjust the model. And then here for epics, I'm telling it, here on line 49, I'm telling it really how many iterations or complete passes to try to make over the data and learn. So in this case, I'm telling it 10. Here's the main function, it's the main entry point, which is going to eventually kick off this train method here. And so the first thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm pointing it to the training data. Remember I showed you that folder on my local machine with all of the images. So I'm just pointing it to the train data here on line 58. And then on line 61, I'm pointing it to the validation data. Here on line 64, I'm telling it where to save the model. So at the end of the training process, I'll have this model artifact. And so I'm saving it under build logs. And then here on line 67, I'm giving it a name. So I'm calling it shoe classifier. On line 70, I'm actually creating the data set. And remember I told you with DJL, there are several flavors of data sets. And so this one is going to pull data from my local machine. And so at the end of this call, I will have all of the data loaded. And so I do that for the training data set here on line 70 and the validate data set here on line 73. So I'm setting the batch size and then on line 78 and 79, I'm just telling the machine how many batches it will have to process. Pretty straightforward. Now let's talk about loss. So here I'm setting the loss function. So whenever you hear the term loss in machine learning, just think errors or mistakes. And so the loss function will evaluate the model's prediction against the correct answer. And it will really tell it how good or bad it is and it computes the level of error. And so whenever you see a higher number, that's bad because that means it's more, it's more errors. And so lower numbers are good. And so the whole goal is to minimize errors. And the loss function will help you do that. And then on line 87, I'm using this get model method to actually get an empty model. And so this is the model that will eventually hold all of the trends and patterns found in the data. So let's quickly look at this get model method. The type of machine learning that we're going through today is called deep learning. So it's just a flavor of machine learning 
that uses a neural network. And just think of the neural network like how the brain works. That's how they describe it. And so you have neurons that fire and send information to another neuron. And so basically, that's how deep learning works. In this case, I'm using ResNet 50 as the neural network. And the 50 means there are 50 layers. So just imagine you have data going in. It's flowing through these neurons, 50 layers, finding and learning until it spits out a prediction on the end. And so here on line 12, I'm just creating a new model instance. On line 16 through 22, I'm constructing the neural network. And then here on line 25, I'm setting it to the model. So at a very high level, that's deep learning. So let's go back to the training. And so here I have this empty model that's initialized. I have my neural network that I'll use for training ready. Then on line 89, I'm setting the hyperparameters. So in machine learning, hyperparameters are nothing more than training configuration parameters. So I'm able to configure this training job. So let's look at that configuration. Okay. So here, let's look at line 141. So I'm setting the initializer. So what is the initializer? This will initialize the weights for the neural network. So when we think about that, weights dictate how important the input values are. So we're dealing with images. So what would the input values be? So think about things like pixels, image boundaries, colors, et cetera. And so I'm setting the initializer. It's the Xavier initializer, which is pretty popular. And then on line 149 through 156, I'm setting the learning rate. So remember I told you that during training, it's like an iterative process, and we're going to produce multiple models. So the model is adjusted on each epoch or each epoch. I just like saying epoch. <laughs> the model is adjusted on each epoch. And this learning rate dictates how much to adjust that model. And then, of course, the weights are adjusted based on errors. And so that's the learning rate. And then finally, I'm setting the optimization technique. So really, for training, the big goal is to produce a well-performing well model as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And so this optimization technique will seek to minimize errors or loss and produce faster and better results. And so the optimization technique that I'm setting here's SGD, stochastic gradient descent. Okay, so now I've configured that training job. And then here on line 91, I'm initializing the trainer. So this is the class that will actually do the training. On line 93, I'm setting metrics. So this is very helpful. It allows you to analyze and monitor the training process because it will print to the screen the number, like the epic number that you're on. It will produce the accuracy for that current model, et cetera. So key performance indicators. Then I'm setting the training listener. I'm setting the input shape. And then here, this is the most important method. It's called FIT. 
So this is going to kick off the process to find patterns in the data. So let's look at this fit method. Here we go. And so essentially in this fit method, it's going to loop for the number of epics or the number of passes over the data. And then within that, it's going to iterate over the batches. So it's going to go over the training data, finding trends and patterns, and storing those in the model. And then also, because I've provided validation data, it's going to validate itself to see how well it's performing. And it's going to do this for each epic. And so here I'm resetting the training metrics, and then I'm actually saving the model. So at the end of each epoch, I will have a model. So that's the fit method. And then I'm setting model properties like the epoch and the accuracy, and then I'm saving the model. So let me show you where it actually saves the model. It's under build logs. Okay. So this is the training folder. And notice these are the, the 10 models produced during training. So in theory, that very first model is not that smart. Um, but as the epics continue, the model gets adjusted, the machine learning algorithm continues to find trends and patterns, and it updates, and it minimizes loss. And then at the end of that process, I have shoe classifier, which is a well-performing model. Now, I'm not going to run the training process. It takes about 30 minutes. I know you guys don't want to sit and wait through that. But once I have the model, what's the next step? Say that again? Yes. Yeah. So once we have the model, the next step is to get the prediction, test it out, see how well it is at classifying shoes. So that's this inference class. And so here on line 33, I'm setting the number of output. And it's very important that when you run this prediction, that the same you use the same values that you use for training. And so if you remember, the number of output before was four, because we have four class labels. And we did the height and width for pre-processing at 100. And then here on line 39 in this main method, I'm obtaining the classification. So remember, that's the probability score per each label. And I do that through this predict method. On line 46, I'm essentially pointing it to the location where I save the model. I'm giving it the name of the model. And then here on line 54, I'm giving it the location to the image that I want classified. So let me show you that image. So the first image that I'm sending to the model is a pair of boots. Those are cute, I want those. Every time I see that picture. And then a pair of sandals, a pair of shoes, and a pair of slippers. So down here on line 60, I'm actually loading the file, that image file that I just showed you. On line 63, I'm getting the prediction result. I'm initializing the prediction. 
And then here I'm calling the get model to get that empty model instance. And then I'm loading the model that I previously created here on line 67. And then I'm defining a translator. Remember I told you before that DJL comes with translators and it's like pre and post processing. And then here I'm getting the prediction result. So let's see. For boots, notice here at the bottom, it gave me back a probability score um, for class label zero, that's boots, of 99%. And now, let's run it for sandals. And it's gonna take a second to run. Okay, and for class label one, that's sandals, the probability is 98%. Now let's run it for shoes. So for shoes, about 89% for class label two. And then for slippers, let's see. So for slippers, Class label three, it's only about 61% sure. It's thinking it could be sandals, because they are flat, so I can understand why the machine would think we're looking at slippers. I mean sandals instead of slippers. Okay. So that was a quick look at using DJL. Very easy, not a lot, a lot of lines of code, and it just abstracts away a lot of the complexities and they, the APIs they provide for high-level training and inference, super easy to use. So lessons learned along my machine learning journey. Initially, coming from a Java background, I thought that machine learning was something that was so complex that I would never be able to understand it, that I needed to have a PhD or be a research person working in a lab in order to fully understand and even utilize machine learning on a day-to-day -day basis. But with AWS, it becomes very approachable. And remember, I mentioned the different levels to adoption. So you can start at a very high level, really learn the basics, and when you're ready, you can go deeper. And so AWS makes it very approachable. During my journey, I used Amazon Machine Learning, I used SageMaker, and I used DJL. 
So if you're coming from a Java background, I would recommend starting with DJL. Um, you saw the, the code and how easy it is to actually train a model. And for me, I started with SageMaker because DJL wasn't around back then, and I had to learn Python. And to this day, I still try to put semicolons on the end of my Python code. <laughs> I love semicolons. Now, before you get started with DJL or machine learning, make sure you understand the machine learning lifecycle and a lot of the common terms. So like, what's an optimization technique? What's a model? What's the learning rate? What is training? Um, because once you understand that foundation, then you can take that knowledge and transition it to SageMaker, transition it to DJL. It's just like learning a new programming language. Once you understand the foundation of what is a variable, why do I need a loop, what's a decision statement, you can take that knowledge and really transition it to any language. And just remember to leave off the semicolons when you go to Python. <laughs> and then another thing that I learned, that domain knowledge is definitely more important than being a machine learning expert. So you're working with the data, really get in there and understand the data. And in some cases, when you're generating machine learning models, you'll have to do a lot of cleaning, preparation, and transforming that data to put it in a format that a machine can actually learn from. Um, DJL, under the hood, does a lot of that pre-processing for you, um, but that's also very important, just having that domain knowledge. And then being a software engineer does help in machine learning. For me, it really helped me understand the process to put a system in production. And just per helping me understand how to like productionize, and I know that's a word that I made up, but productionize the model and put it in a, get it in a place where someone can actually use it and make a prediction. So software engineering does help. So when you think about your machine learning journey, what's next for you? What is your journey? So there are different levels. You can start around with, um, start by playing around with some of the AI services, incorporating those API calls in your existing systems, making your existing systems smarter. Um, if you are a Java developer, I would recommend starting at the level two adoption, just building your own models um, through a system maybe like SageMaker, and then transitioning to that level three where you have complete control and you're writing your own custom code. But it is something that you can do coming from a Java background. Um, with AWS, there are so many different levels and layers of adoption, it's easy for you to get started. And so for a practical pathway, start with the machine learning lifecycle and terminology and understanding that. Oops. And then, like I said, start with the level two adoption. So research supervised learning, it's really the most simple form of machine learning and use binary classification, that's getting that yes, no answer back, or multi-class classification, that's one of many, so that was the, the footwear classification um, that I showed you. 
So start there and then identify your first use case. Find something that's fun. Find data that you want to work with. You know, for me, that's my motivation. It has to be something that I enjoy doing late at night once everybody's asleep. So pick something fun and then find the data. And so there are many places where you can find machine learning um, data sets to play around with. There's Kaggle and the UCI machine learning repository. And then train your model using DJL and then blog about your experience. So share your lessons learned with others. Um, definitely going from Java to machine learning is a journey. And so any knowledge that you gain that you share with others will help them on their journey as well. Here I've provided links to the full code for the footwear classification model. That's the Java code. And then there's a link to an article that really goes into more detail than I did today about the code and how it works and where I got my data from and everything that I needed to do with the data. And then the last link is the Java doc for DJL. And I'll leave that up. And now we have about 15 minutes for questions. <laughs> 